Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We are continuing our discussion of the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 28, and we, uh, which is, and we will begin in verse 12 of Proverbs 28, which is found on page 1027 of your pew Bible if you are following along there. We hear these words of God from Proverbs chapter 28. When the righteous triumph, there is great elation. But when the wicked rise to power, men go into hiding. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked man ruling over a helpless people. Tyrannical ruler lacks judgment, but he who hates ill-gotten gain will enjoy a long life. A man tormented by the guilt of murder will be a fugitive till death. Let no one support him. He whose walk is blameless is kept safe, but he whose ways are perverse will suddenly fall. He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. A faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, yet a man will do wrong for a piece of bread. A stingy man is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. He who robs his father or mother and says, it's not wrong, he is a partner to him who destroys. A greedy man stirs up dissension, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. Let us pray. Our God and Father, as we gather around this word today, we are reminded that without the help of your Holy Spirit, we would not see what we need to see in this word. And so I pray that you would send your spirit into this place today in a way that opens our eyes and opens our ears to the truths that you would have us here. Convict us. Help us to come and confess to you and turn away from our sins so that we might have the confidence and security of trusting in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have trust issues. I had initially written that in there as the beginning to this sermon, thinking it would be a great way to just kind of get people's attention. And then as I read it and as I thought about it, I realized I have trust issues. (laughs) And there are reasons that many of us do have trust issues. Maybe we've been let down in the past. Maybe we've given somebody insight into our lives and confidence only to have that, that truth, that that nugget from our lives plastered across social media. Maybe we received a promise from a friend that was broken when that friend failed to live up to that promise. Or maybe many of us have trust issues because we really know ourselves a lot better than we think we do. You know, I have pet peeves. And I imagine you have pet peeves. But as I've grown in grace over the years, I have learned that many of those things that I find most annoying in other people 
are habits that I have that I accept other people to accept willingly and graciously. Maybe I'm an untrustworthy person. Maybe that's why I have trust issues. Well, Solomon turns our attention to the reality that there are some things in our world that we should see as untrustworthy. And there are one thing, one person in our world that we can find as fully and completely trustworthy at all times and in all situations. And Solomon points us to these fantasies or fantasies or vanities that verse 19 talks about and he and he contrasts them with the trust in the Lord. We are tempted to put our hope, our trust in the things of this world which ultimately turn out to betray us. And this trust in these fantasies and these empty things of this world will ultimately lead us to poverty, to destruction. And yet God promises prosperity. He promises security. He promises grace to those who trust in Him. So what fantasies do we tend to place our trust in? Solomon highlights three of them for us today. These things are three which are not unique to his time and they're not unique to our time as well. So the first thing that Solomon highlights for us is the fantasy of a trustworthy government. Verse 12 opens with a reminder that when the righteous triumph, there is great elation, but when the wicked rise to power, men go into hiding. And as we see in verses 15 and 16 and on into 21, that that government is fickle. Government is wishy-washy. Government changes on a regular basis. One moment you can have a wise and beneficent government, and the next you will have a wicked and tyrannical government. There are benefits that come from the wise ruler, Solomon reminds us. The wise ruler will bring celebration and honor to a country or to a society. The wise ruler will deal with the helpless and the downtrodden with grace and with mercy. The wise ruler will have good judgment in directing the paths that his country or society will take. The wise ruler will make sure that the courts are used in a way that is fair and just. And God in His grace and mercy will on occasion set up wise rulers over a country. He gave the nation of Israel David. He gave the nation of Israel Solomon and his wisdom. And under David and Solomon... Israel prospered and grew. But God will also, in His judgment, allow wicked rulers to come to power as well. Wicked rulers will abuse the courts through partiality and bribery. Solomon goes so far as to say they will, they will take something as meager as a piece of bread as a bribe to twist the judicial system. Wicked rulers will treat the helpless and downtrodden with violence and fear. Wicked rulers will allow their judgments to be clouded by their own wants and on their own needs. And in our country today, we live under the fantasy that government is trustworthy. Whenever we deny that there is a God out there who will take care of us, whenever we deny the reality that there is something transcendent and beyond what we can see in our everyday lives, something that is trustworthy beyond us, we have to put our trust in something. And many of us today put our trust, our hope in the political sphere, in the political system. On one side, you have people who openly admit that they can just if they could just get government right. 
all the evils and the ills of this world will, will melt away. On the other side, they, people may openly admit that God is sovereign, but verbally and in their actions show that their hope for the personal prosperity and the prosperity of the church is in getting the government, well, just right. Many of us have placed our trust in government for the growth of the church. Many of us have placed our trust in the government for the growth of our own personal prosperity. And Solomon reminds us that you may have a good, wise ruler one day, but you're going to have a wicked ruler the next day. And really, government is just made up of people. And people fail. People sin. Yes, God has ordained government and human hierarchies to restrain sin. But when we take the trust and allegiance that God demands and is due only to Him and put that trust and allegiance in government, we are putting our trust in a fantasy. So we see the fantasy of a trustworthy government. We also see the fantasy of trustworthy wealth. In verses 16 and verse 20 and 22 and 25 and 27, Solomon talks about greed and stinginess and the, and the, the consequences that come to those who are greedy and those who are stingy. Now, you've heard me say it again. You've heard me say it before. You'll likely hear me say it again before we end this study. Wealth in and of itself is not bad. It is not money that Paul says is the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Wealth is just a tool that can be used for good and bad, like a hammer. In the hands of a craftsman, a hammer can be used to to push together pieces of wood or to to maybe move a, a chisel across the surface of wood to create a beautiful piece of furniture. In the hands of a psychopath, however, well, let's just say it becomes the basis for a docudrama on serial killers. God has ordained wealth. He has directed humanity to develop systems of trade and economics that work smoothly as there is some measurable form of currency to trade for those goods and services. But when we forget that God is sovereign over who has wealth and who doesn't, and we put our trust in wealth rather than in God, that trust can lead us to greed and stinginess as we deal with people. It can lead us to forget that God calls us to be the tool that He uses to alleviate suffering in our world. And just like putting our trust in government is a fantasy, putting our trust in wealth is a fantasy as well. 1907, 1929, 1985, 2000, 2008, and somewhere between 2021 and 2023. Those are just the big stock market crashes, brothers and sisters. Not the little ones that happen every several years. Those are just the big ones where entire nation, an entire nation's worth of wealth was wiped out. In the blink of an eye, when we put our hope, when we put our trust in wealth, we will find ourselves destitute and miserable. Wealth is a fantasy that will fail us if we put our trust in it and in it alone. Solomon highlights the fantasy of trustworthy government. Solomon highlights the fantasy of trustworthy wealth. And third, we have Solomon highlighting for us the fantasy that we ourselves are worthy of trust. 
Just as God has created government, just as God created wealth, He created humanity. And we affirm and believe that humanity was created special in all of creation. At the end of that sixth day, God said, let us make man in our own image. We are the only portion of creation that is given the authority and the call to rule and to have dominion over creation. We are the only part of creation that was told to tend the earth, to tend the garden in such a way that God's glory could dwell on earth with humanity. We are special in creation. But a world where that image of God has rebelled against God by telling Him that we would rather follow our law, our way of doing things and His way, we are left with idols that we tend to trust and worship. And the the biggest idol of them all is myself. Who or what is Ike most likely to turn to in this world has his ultimate foundation of trust? Ike, of course. I'm the best, most greatest person I know. Who are you likely most likely to turn to in this world as your ultimate foundation of trust. Our culture has bought into this. I I had a little tickle in my throat today, nothing serious. I just didn't drink enough water before I got in here. And I grabbed a, a, a Hall's cough drop. And Hall's cough drop has started putting little sayings on their wrapper, if you didn't realize it. Sayings like, bet on yourself. High five yourself. Keep your chin up. What was the other one? Put a little strut in it. Everything's about me in this world, even cough drops. Everything in this world is built to feed my trust in myself. I know myself. I am not trustworthy. I will fail myself every opportunity I get. And you know where the greatest opportunity that I and that you are most likely to trust yourself in in this world? It's in the area of righteousness. Why would we be tempted, as verse 13 says, to conceal our sin? It's because we think we've got it covered. You trust in your own ability to meet your own definition of integrity and blamelessness. You you trust in your own ability to self-justify when the guilt of your sin presses you down. Like the religious leaders of Matthew 15 that Jesus was addressing, He says, look, God has given you this law. He says, honor your father and your mother. And yet you have taken human tradition and you have allowed it to trump God's law we we lessen the power and the effect of God's law by interpreting it according to our own righteousness and we say you know what mom and dad I know God told me to take care of you but you know what I've dedicated all of my money to the tithe so I guess you're on your own but I'm righteous because I'm giving my money to God, or at least I have promised to give my money to God. We cover ourselves, we cover our rebellion, and we trust in our own definition of righteousness to declare ourselves that we are righteous. And what does Solomon say about the person who trusts in himself? He pulls no punches. He says that person is a fool. 
And what does the book of Proverbs, what have we studied for the last 28 and a half or 27 and a half chapters? What does the book of Proverbs say is the end of the fool? The fool. It's judgment. It is destruction. Trusting in the fantasies of this world is hard work. Solomon says in verse 14 that he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. The word harden is a farming word. It's the picture of a yoke put on the neck of a team of oxen. When training an oxen to a yoke, you begin when they are young and you put a small and lightweight yoke upon the oxen. It has to be an appropriate size. And as they grow, you change the yoke on the oxen to another appropriate size. It's a little bit heavier. But if you take a young ox and you put an adult yoke on it, its head bows down. Its head can't lift itself. But something happens. You ever notice that if you have a tendency, or at least maybe it's just me, that, you know, I read a lot. I spend a lot of time in front of a computer. What do you have a tendency to do when you spend a lot of time in front of a computer and reading? You, you, you put your necks down. You know that changes the muscle structure within your back? That's the picture that happens here when sin is such a heavy yoke. Our own righteousness, our own self-righteousness, trusting ourselves is such a heavy yoke that it changes the muscle structure in your neck. And if you do that to an ox when they get to be an adult, they're worthless because all of a sudden they're stronger than the yoke. And they can no longer be used and an oxen that can no longer be used for farming and for bringing the plow then becomes named steak, T-bone, roast. Becomes dinner. It gets destroyed. And that's what sin does to us. It is a far heavier yoke than we can bear. But the longer we try to bear it on our own, the harder of heart, the stiffer of neck we become. Sin weighs us down and it's a bigger yoke than we can bury, than we can carry. And when we try to define it away by our own righteousness, by trusting in our own righteousness to be good and right before God, we make it even heavier. So what's the remedy for this hard-heartedness, for this stiff-neckedness? That didn't sound right, did it? The... the the answer or the remedy is to confess and to renounce. Confess that he says there in the second half of verse 13. Confess is not just saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. It's a good start. It's a good place to, to begin. But, but true confession is coming to God and saying, Lord, you tell me not to bear false witness against my neighbor. I'm guilty of exaggerating the stories that I tell in order to make myself look better and to make others look bad. Lord, you tell me that I'm not to murder. I am guilty of holding an angry grudge in my heart against my brother or my sister. Lord, you tell me not to covet, but I am guilty of wanting to do wanting what so and so has so much that I want harm to fall on them so I can have it. Confession is taking the law of God, using it as a light upon your heart and saying, this is where those sins reside. And Lord, this is what I struggle with. This is where I break your law. This is where I rebel against you. You tell me to love others, but this is where I hate them. You tell me to respect you, but this is where I rebel against you. But Solomon says confession is not only the end of it. We are also called to renounce our sin. You know, if you go to someone and you confess, you know what, I lied to you. And I want you to forgive me. 
And you turn right around and within the next five minutes you've lied to him right again. Have, have you truly confessed? Have you truly turned from your sin? No. This idea of renouncing means to turn your back on it. We are called to confess and then renounce that sin. The longer you walk in the way of wisdom, I pray and hope that the greater hatred for sin that you have you have a sin that you have struggled long term with, that you have truly confessed, that you have truly tried to renounce both in your own power and in the power of the Holy Spirit, whenever it rears its ugly head again in your life, I hope there is a sense of, Lord, I am so tired of this. I hate that I do this all the time. When you catch yourself in the middle of the lust or the grudge or the anger or the hatred, or the rage settling in your heart? Do you weep over that sin in your life? Do you catch yourself in the middle of an exaggerated story and pray because you get so utterly frustrated with the ease and with with which you slip into old habits? I pray that as you go through this process of confessing, Confession and renouncement. I pray that you also feel in that the healing waters of God's mercy as they wash over you. God promises mercy and blessing on those who confess and renounce. Through Jesus, God shows mercy and offers forgiveness. Through Jesus, the Lord removes the oversized, overweight yoke of sin and self-righteousness and replaces it with a light yoke and an easy burden that brings rest to your souls. If you are trusting in yourself for your righteousness, your burden is heavy. Find the rest for your souls that God promises in Jesus. Solomon calls us today to stop trusting in fantasies. Stop trusting in the fantasy of a trustworthy government. Stop trusting in the fantasy of trustworthy wealth. And stop trusting in the fantasy that your righteousness is trustworthy as well. The author of Hebrews lays out the reality that the Old Testament religious system pointed to our need for a perfect lamb and how Jesus was that perfect lamb that fulfilled all these things. And then he gives us a list of people in chapter 11 that had faith that looked forward to the fulfillment of those Old Testament sacrificial system in the person of Jesus. And then he follows up with that, with these words from Hebrews 12. He says, since then we have so great a cloud of witnesses Let us also lay aside every weight, every sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Since we have these witnesses who look forward to Christ, confess and renounce so that the weight of the yoke can be lifted from your neck. But notice that the author doesn't stop there. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Sanctification is hard. Confession and renouncement, which we call repentance, is a difficult burden. But compared to the burden of sin and the burden of our own self-righteousness, the burden of trying to justify ourselves before God. It is a burden that is light. It's a yoke that is easy. 
Jesus has secured for you the means by which you can lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely to us, which encumbers us, as the King James says. And through His work, you can turn from your own self-righteousness through confession and renouncing and find the mercy and blessing that God promises. Look to Him and be saved. Look to Him and be sanctified. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, It is the easy thing to confess that I am a sinner. It is hard work to confess that I am a worrier. That I am an angry person. That I am whatever other list of things there are. And yet, coming to you and confessing, and then turning away from those things, As difficult as it is, it is a balm of blessing. As I do those things, Your mercy pours over me. As we do those things, Your mercy pours over us. And the weight of those sins which bear us down fall off. And the light burden of Your mercy and Your grace is rested upon our shoulders. Lord, we forget the joy of that light and that easy burden. And oftentimes we try to pick up the heavy yoke of our own self-righteousness. We ask forgiveness for that as well. And we ask that you give us the strength to honestly come before you and confess. And to truly renounce and hate our sin. So that you might be glorified. So that we might live lives of joy. I pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we go out this day, as we seek to take that easy and light yoke upon us, take this blessing with you, may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And as we await the full knowledge of His grace and His love, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.